0: Hello, and welcome back to It's Your Money, the Mayor Brown Sword podcast, where we hack our way out of the financial jungle. My name's Andrew Harrison, and here with his machete and his pith helmet is Andy Mayer. Hello, Andy, how are you?
1: Good, got my helmet on, ready to go. Absolutely.
0: Got the bug spray with you. Very, very important. So today we're talking about the big one. We're talking about retirement. How do you provide for it? When do you do it? What do you need? And most importantly, how do you take the heartache out out of it all? This is the Don't Worry, Retire Happy edition. And we've got a special guest with us, don't we, Andy?
1: Yes, we do. We've got Lisa Quinn today, who's an executive coach, a longtime client of ours and also somebody I've used personally. She's an accredited trainer and professional coach, She works with people in communications and PR in a media business, and now she works with people and businesses to dig inside them and connect, in her words, with their inner brilliance. Hello, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Um, Very nice to be here. Before we start, Lisa, do you want to explain how you got into the coaching world? Sure. And what do you find the most people need in terms of the careers? Is it confidence, planning, dealing with stress or?
2: So um, I became a coach after a 22 year career in communications, PR and communications. And um, I had uh, reported to CEOs and um, been on um, leadership teams of kind of really, really busy businesses. And I became a coach because ultimately I'm quite nosy um i like to curious would be a kind of way of saying it and i really love helping people become the best versions of themselves and helping them work out what makes them tick and my job as i see it really um is to help them work out who are they at their best and to help them see those things that are perhaps tripping them up or getting in their way um more often than well actually all the time every everyone every single individual I believe absolutely knows what's right for them and knows what the best thing is to do for them they just might not know it um and often we're not giving ourselves the space and the time and perhaps asking the right questions to allow us to connect with that and I think probably that's what my clients say about me is that I help them learn to trust themselves
0: Time and space, that's what I need.
2: I think that's what we all need.
0: So we're going to talk about retirement today, which some people think about from the day they start work. Others don't consider until they're actually literally handing you the golden clock. Mm -hmm. Um, Andy, most people are somewhere between the two on those two extremes. But uh, a recent survey of a 1,000 people carried out by Opinion, on behalf of Hargis Lansdowne, found that over a third of people between 45 and 55 have no plan in place for their remaining working years at all. How serious a problem is this
1: for, not just for them, but for everybody? It's a massive problem for them and for society as well, because if you've got no plan in place and you've only got the state pension, you're going to rely on the state for probably as much as you can get, But also, it depends what sort of retirement you want. And if you think you can live on just a state pension, I don't think it's going to be a fun retirement.
0: I mean, is there an ideal time to start thinking about this apart from, say, 10 years ago? Yesterday.
1: (laughs) I think most people don't have a plan. I think once you've got a plan, and we talk about retirement and everyone talks about pensions, but it can be ISAs, it can be cash savings, it can be second properties, it can be an investment in offshore bonds, it can be renewable energy investments, but you need to have something that when you retire, you need to bring income from. Mm. Now, whether what vehicle that is, that's an individual person's sort of choice. But if you're going to stop working at 60 and you live till you're, say, 90, apart from the state pension, you've got to fund, and the state pension obviously keeps getting delayed for people, you've got to fund your income, and people need to start thinking about how they're going to do that this is a
0: question i think i've asked you before and it's almost how long is a piece of string but how much do you need i mean in that survey i just quoted they said a single person needs at least twenty thousand eight hundred pound a year income and a couple needs thirty thousand six hundred just to have basic financial
1: security i think what you need is if you look at your basic cost heating electricity and gas that sort of stuff and gas prices obviously <laughs> are going through the roof you've then got what people now consider as a basic function is it sky sports is it netflix is it spotify And then you've got to look at the fun things that we like to do, whether do you want to eat out once a week, do you want to go to the movies, do you want to go to the theatre, and then the real extravagant things like holidays, trips. And you can make your basic cost of living to what you need, but most people don't work 30, 40 years going in and out of jobs maybe. They don't always like travel then to finish work and go, I can't afford to do anything. And I think it's about working out what your basic living costs are per week or per month. The bits we really like, the theatre, going to football, and then the great stuff, the holidays, the memories, and people and if you look at that, I think most people would struggle on 20,000 pounds if they want a lot of travel. Now, you might have a basic level of need of income of 20,000, but you might need another pot of money to provide the holidays
0: mm.
1: stuff that you really want to do.
0: Yeah. Lisa, I mean, how early did you start
2: thinking about retirement or
0: have you even started? I mean, how present has it been in your mind?
2: Um, well, I'm a planner um, and I, I met Andy probably, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say 20 years ago, Andy, I think. it might I had been...
1: more hair then, definitely.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was 20 years ago. And so I think I did start thinking about it early. Um, but I definitely had the feelings that a lot of people have, which is it's scary. We don't want to think about it. And so we don't and i think that's a really normal response to thinking about retirement and you know certainly a lot of the um when i was younger a lot of people are like oh it's it's too far off it doesn't it doesn't feel relevant um and then obviously as you get older and it gets a bit closer it, sometimes it can become even scarier and so um i think i would absolutely agree with andy start thinking about it early you know you don't want to wait until the friday if you're retiring on a monday you're going to have a very different experience if you think about it, reflect on it and plan what you want your retirement to be like than if you don't. And in a way, it's almost like we've got to acknowledge, acknowledging those feelings that actually I feel really uncomfortable about this. I'm a bit scared thinking about it. That's completely normal. You're having a completely normal response because it's not something that we do all the time unless you know, you're in a job like Andy. We don't tend to talk about it very much or think about it. But even if you just start kicking it about a bit, That can be beneficial. I think being intentional about it and thinking about, um, you know, maybe asking yourself a big question. One of the questions I ask my clients when we're doing career planning or we're thinking about their jobs is on your deathbed, what do you want to have done? If you're, you know, looking back from your deathbed, and you could ask this question about your retirement, what do you want it to have been like? You know, who do you want to have spent your time with? What do you want to have achieved? And what do you want to make people feel? Because I think it was Maya Angelou, she has this really beautiful quote where she says, People, you know, they'll forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And often when I work with my clients, actually that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the impact that we want to create, um, and what we want to leave, really. Yeah. Um, and I think starting there, start with, okay. How do, you know? How do I want to spend my time? What are the things that I really enjoy doing that I want to spend my time doing?
0: As a coach, do you find it hard to get? I mean, because you're dealing often with people who are thinking about the, the here and now. Mm-hmm. They're entrepreneurs, they're business people, the people who think thinking about this about their careers. Do you find it hard to turn their attention away from the present day and the immediate to the future, the post-work future? And how do you how do you get them to do
2: that? Um, well, you. First, you get them to it by, um, you know, no one, no one can be coached. He doesn't want to be coached. Um, and some people don't want to be coached. And that, that's completely fine. So often it's a question of, you know, they'll come because they'll come to want a question answered. They'll, they'll, they'll want mm-hmm. help with planning in some area or they'll recognize that, you know, they're not necessarily um, working in the way that they want to work. There's various different ways. I mean, that question is a great one you know what do you looking back from your deathbed what do you want to do there's a there's a number of different ways of doing it you can start with values so ha- so helping people work out who am i at my best what are the things that make me tick um and they may, might be things like family for example or you know if you really love your job your job might be a huge part of your identity and part of it is about helping people realize that there's no right way to do work, there's no w- right way to do retirement. It's about what's right for, for you as an individual. And I think we're often really clear about what we don't want. Like we often look, you know, I know I want to work until I, until I die. I, now I won't necessarily work full time, but I love my job and I want to keep on doing it as long as, you know, people will keep paying me for it. So it might be that you don't have to give up work. You can keep working, but just in a different way, you might want to kind of, you know, cut down the number of days, That you want to work for example if you really love your job and it's something that fulfills you you that absolutely is an option for you
1: Mm.
2: or if you're the other way and you know you you can't wait to finish your job and you're just hanging on in there for retirement the kind of questions you can ask yourself are things like you know what do i like doing when i'm not at work what are the things that make me feel when i'm doing them that make me feel really alive That's going to give you pointers for the kind of things that matter to you. And that's going to give you that's all information and data that you can use to help you plan the kind of retirement that you want. Um, There's a really interesting study that Harvard have done and they've done it. I think it's the longest longitudinal study ever done. It started in 1938 and they did it with 700 men. Um, I think about 60 of them are still alive and um, they worked, they basically selected people from a really broad range of socioeconomic backgrounds. So some of them from the poorest backgrounds, everyone up to, I think JFK um, um, was in it um, at, at one point. And every two years they asked them a whole series of questions about their lives and about, you know, what they're enjoying, what they're spending their money on, how their careers are going. And that survey, that study shows that actually every single one of those people pretty much on the whole, the thing that they said mattered most to them was close relationships and close relationships mm-hmm. more important than to money or power or fame. Um, and so it's thinking about that, thinking about, okay, who do I want to spend my time with? That's a really great question to ask yourself about your retirement.
0: Yeah. I mean, these are, these are good pointers on how, on how to sort of create in your mind the idea of the sort of retirement you might want. Mm-hmm. But, Andy, I want to bring it back slightly to the concrete uh, and, uh, because you're <laughs> the, and the numbers guy. Put your, con- yeah, put your concrete hat on. Well, is there an average pension pot? I mean, you, you, it's a sort of uh, you know budget. Once you've conceptualized and visualized it, you'll have an idea of, of the sort of things you want to do. But is there an average size of pot that people are dealing with?
1: Depending on where you get the research from, some companies are saying that the average pot is below £100,000. Now, right. if you look at, say, taking a 5% return on that per annum, that's going to pay £5,000 a year.
0: Which isn't a lot. No.
1: Fortunately, we're not in that position with the people we work with. But the average pot throughout the country is generally less than 100000 I think uh, the government and the Financial Control Authority were hoping auto-enrolment will boost that over the next 20, 30 years for people by making them have the ability to join company schemes.
0: What's the difference between planning for your retirement when you're 35 and when you're 65? I mean, when, one when you're kind of relatively early and the other when you're kind of, to an extent, I suppose, slightly panicking and fighting in the future.
1: I think at 35, you can make the financial plans. I think at 65, it's more in Lisa's court to so you can get psychologically ready. If you haven't got the money available to retire at 65, you often, you can't. And I think there are people we see working into their 70s may be employed, but they're often there because they want the company, the social ability, and the reason to get up. And some people are there. If you go to supermarkets, they're there stacking the shelves because they need the money. And I would say to everyone, it doesn't matter whether it's a pension or an ISA, the earlier you start planning, the less stressful it is. And the people I've seen enjoy retirement the most are the ones who get financially ready early and psychologically and emotionally ready. Mm. Well, I mean, Lisa just explained about
0: how you can visualise your retirement and how you can kind of get yourself, um, you know, sort of mentally prepared. What, what would your advice be from a from a financial point of view of that, apart from start early?
1: It's a really boring thing to do, but I'd sit down with a glass of wine, look at what your expenses are, mm. look at what you want. And if you think you need the state pension plus 15,000, you need to be aiming for mm. a pot of at least 300,000 in either pensions or ISAs or different areas. If you want to retire at 60 rather than state pension and go with that, say, £25,000, you've got to be starting to look to try and get to half a million pounds. Now, right. a lot of people would say in the past, well, I'm going to sell my house. But what we're finding is that people are getting to 65, they've not spent a lot of time in the house. They don't want to uproot at the age of 60 or 62 to move neighborhoods. They want to spend some time in the house. Yeah. The ones I've seen do it very well, Andrew, what we call hybrid retirement, they go, as you've just mentioned, from five days to four. A couple of years later, they might go down to three or they sometimes leave a major job where they've accumulated enough wealth, but they want to do something that's less stressful, less traveling and just a bit more fun. And we've seen a lot of people in the last, since the pandemic has happened, a lot of people have done that. Since I've been doing this job, I've retired over, I think, 470 people. I think in the last 22 months, I've seen more people change into what we'd call a hybrid mould where they're going from sort of full-time to part-time or changing careers with stress wanting more time off too as the world is opening up to travel one more thing that is is
0: is putting a big cast over all this stuff though is recently as we've seen statutory retirement ages change move upwards and we've seen the return of inflation as a factor for the first time in best part of 30 years I know this is supposed to be taking the worry out of retirement, but should we worry about those two things? What
1: should we be thinking about them? I think state pension age, I think for people under the age of possibly 50 will shift. I think we'll see some announcements on that in the next couple of years, but it's also, if you do, that's a vote loser. And as we can see, politicians don't like losing power and votes. So I suspect that might go on the back burner till it's an all parties approval. I think inflation is here for a while, but I, I'm hoping we don't live in inflation at 5 6% for the next 10 years because I think we then we do have some more issues. I think, as, as Mike Coop said last week, inflation is here at the moment. I think if inflation stays above 5%, then it'll hit people's equity returns. But I oh. think we're hoping, and the research suggests, that it should start decreasing later on this year. But you never know what's around the corner. It depends on uh, how our friend Mr. Putin Maps out and oil prices and things like this. Yeah.
0: Lisa, apparently, and this is from the same survey I was just mentioning a minute ago, uh, one in four people who aspire to retire early want to do so at about 60, so about five years early. The, uh, the thing that like, used to happen to my dad's generation where everybody was scrambling to retire at 50 seems to be... You know, less common. What are your clients telling you, uh, you know, about what they want to do with retirement? How early they want to do it? What kind of retirement they want? Are, are you noticing changes because you, you help them plan their careers and their lives?
2: I do, and to be honest, most of my clients are still working, so retirement is some way is some way off for them. And the conversations that we're having are very much about, you know, a lot of them they're in jobs that they enjoy or that they plan to carry on working. I think Andy's just made a really good point. You know, life is expensive and it's it, certainly in the next couple of years, it looks like it's going to get even more expensive. And one of the exercises I do with my clients is to get everything that's out of their head down on paper. So in other words, we do an exercise where we literally map out what are your, you know, what are your mortgage payments every month? Um you know, what are your assets? What debt do you have? So everything that they know about their financial story is down on a piece of paper. Because sometimes when you see things down, often we carry these things in our head and they kind of, they're either worst case scenarios or there's things that we've forgotten. When you get it all down and you've got a really true picture of, okay, this is where I am. This is kind of the state of me now or the state of me, you know, this is what I know about what's going to be here when I I decide to retire. You can then plan from that point. But if you don't have the information, you can't work with it. So my work is often, it's a case of, yes, I get them to dream big. And I get them to, you know, because frankly, most people are pretty good on their own of thinking the worst case scenario, that's not what, what they need me to do. But I will get them to think about, okay, knowing that situation, knowing your reality, what would be possible Andy made a really good point earlier about people looking at portfolio careers, because I think that's going to become, certainly in, in the work that I do with clients, that's becoming more and more common, where I'm coaching people who are kind of, you know, mid-40s, coming up to their 50s, and they are they've had really successful careers, and they are looking at doing something, whether they're looking at going back to university to do some other kind of qualification, or they're looking at retraining in some way to move them in a different direction, because I think we're all realistic, or a lot of us are realistic about the fact that, you know, we're going to be working that that retirement age, I suspect is just going to keep increasing. And so more and more of us are going to be working. And I think it's going to be about doing that in a different way. And the more that you can think about if you're able to, and if you have a choice about that, and I recognize that, you know, for some for some people, it's easier than others. But as much choice as you have, being realistic about, okay, what's my reality, and then knowing that my reality, what, what can I do about that? Or what do I want to do about that?
0: You worked in media, like me. I did. And, uh, yes. A lot of people in media, uh, and you know, if you're if you're lucky enough to have a creative job, and I mean, a lot of people listening to this podcast will go, working in media, that's not a job. <laughs> I've got a job. It's hard work. I've got to get up in the morning. It's cold. You just sit there writing things and enjoying yourself. And you're kind of right, but in, in a, a lot for a lot of people in media, it's like you, you kind of and and other creative jobs, you, your job becomes your identity. Yeah, it's kind of who you are. Yeah. And it's like you live through it. Do you talk to people about? you know, how to deal with it when suddenly the thing that makes your identity what it is, isn't there anymore.
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's something that I talk to people about now. So, you know, when they're working 24-7 and their job is their identity, I see that a lot. And I would absolutely say that, you know, I was completely one of those people when I worked when I worked um, in my previous career. And to a certain extent now, like, I will absolutely hold my hands up and say, you know, I have workaholic tendencies. I love my job. Um, right. I think it's about in part it's about recognizing what that gives you, so what does your work give you and getting really clear about that and recognizing the pros and cons of that and and then also adding in other things and that might be starting off really small so I'm working with someone at the moment who is incredibly busy you know he's worked his hours have gone through the roof in terms of the pandemic he's an investment banker and That's been, we've worked on literally giving him five minutes a day to walk around the block and get some fresh air. And that five minutes, he's realized that actually the world doesn't fall apart in five minutes. He can go and have a walk around the block and he feels a bit better and he's got a bit more thinking space. And so he can come back and feel a bit different. And then you build from there. So it's getting people to add in other things. It's not necessarily always about taking away work, but it's adding in other things and, and adding in you know that might be a hobby that might be um you know yoga or it might be playing golf or it might it might just literally be 5 minutes of breathing space um again it's really individual but it's often about for in my experience it's adding something in so that so that you start thinking oh actually there's other things that I do that I love as much as as my job or or I feel you know I don't feel the same way about them but they're really beneficial to me
0: that's interesting because a lot, for a lot of people I know they're, they're sort of during lockdown their official government walk around the park actually became their favorite part of the day. Yeah. It's great this. No, I have to be on my own. Nobody's allowed to come with me mm-hmm. so I can just walk around the park and listen to an audiobook and yeah. look at the birds and, and and they they lots of people found it really beneficial. I think we should keep it myself. I think that's oh. one thing we should keep from all this kind of thing. Everybody has to walk around the park once a day.
2: Absolutely. The the science, the neuroscience behind getting outside is absolutely, mm. you know, if you are feeling under pressure, um get outside, look up, look yes. up. If you look up to, you know, our, our eyes are extensions of our brains. There's a lot of science to show. If we raise our heads and we look at the top of the trees, that's a really good thing for us. It can reset our nervous system. So no walking around the park. I literally, before this, I walked along the river, listening to an audiobook, happy as Larry.
0: There you go. The government should mandate us to walk around the park and find (laughs) us if we don't. That'll take the stress out of it. Um, So we've established that a great way, you know, that it's not just about building up the pot of money. It's about building your mental uh, posture towards this. It's about preparing mentally and emotionally for, you know, a, a big transition in your life where you're not doing, in some cases, the thing that's defined you. And what I just finally asked the both of you, if there's one big thing to take away from this question of how to retire happy what would it be? Andy, you go first.
1: I think the one thing I would say is start planning early. Mm -hmm. And even if you're 52 and you want to retire at 60, if you don't go and speak to me, go and speak to a financial advisor and start making a plan today. And if you focus on your financial plan, then somebody like Lisa can help you with the other area. Lisa, you get the last word. What's the one big thing people should take away on this question
0: of when to retire and how to retire happily?
2: The when to retire question is probably one for Andy, but I would say in terms of how to retire happily, I would say imagine you're giving advice to your child or someone that you care about really deeply because we tend to be much more compassionate and kinder to our children or our friends than we are to ourselves um, and when you ask that question of yourself, you you can you can almost access a different part of your brain to give you a different perspective.
0: I'm thinking of giving advice to the cat now. That's how I would I would do it. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> um... works
2: for you, totally fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lisa and Andy, thanks for joining us for this. With, for, after all this advice, I think I'm ready to start packing a few quid away. So, uh, Lisa Quinn, uh, personal executive coach, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Andy, does this all make you want to retire? Please don't, because uh, if
1: you retire, I'm in trouble. No, I see my job a bit like I think all of us on this podcast. It's more of a vocation. It's something we love and we get up excited about the day. So no, I'm going nowhere shortly. Oh, that's what we want to hear. Andy Murray is basically in the priesthood. Um, (laughs) And listeners, um,
0: thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you found it uh, useful. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts uh, because there's a new one every month and you'll get the next one seamlessly delivered to your phone. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed listening to this one and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.